Ephesians chapter 1. John chapter 12, next week I'll get back into John. So I thought we'd look at Ephesians 1. Uh, Actually, it's going to be Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, good works, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But in order to understand that verse in its context, we have to go back actually to Paul's prayer in chapter 1. He's praying. He wants them to know at least three things. And the third thing he wants them to know is found in verse 19, where we read, and what is the, I want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. Exceeding greatness of his power. Now that's very interesting. Not just his power, not just his great power, but the exceeding greatness of his power. So he wants them to know that God executes his power, has power, it's great. Actually, it exceeds greatness. It's divinely, it's a divine perfection. You know, we use the creaturely comparative word great as compared to not so great or bad. Uh, And we only have creaturely language to speak of God. So when Paul says things like exceedingly great, it's like it's not creaturely, okay? It's God. So God has power, or God is his own power. That's better, because if he has it, who gave it to him? He doesn't have things that, you know, like that. And God executes his power. I want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Here is the good news for us. Toward us who are believing. So God is executing divine power. It finds as its creaturely target or term us who are believing in order to make us believe in in the first place. But this is concentrating not on the power of God that comes to us to make us believers, but the power of God that continually comes to us once we are believers, okay? And it's exceedingly great power toward us who are believing. We are believing according to the working of his mighty power, Or we could say this, this power is according to the working of his mighty power. This exceedingly great power that is in God can be illustrated in God's works. And he gives an illustration of this working of his mighty power in Christ, which he worked in Christ. What kind of power are you talking about? What kind of working power, execution of divine power are you talking about, Paul? He says, look at Jesus. It's the type, it's the same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, 
Number one, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Number two. And number three, when he put all things under his feet. And number four, when he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, uh, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the first illustration of this exceedingly great power that is working toward believers all the time, keeping us in Christ and all those kind of things. The first illustration is in his son, in the resurrection, in the exaltation, in the current session, in the putting all things under his feet, making him head over all things for the well-being and benefit of the church. But there's another illustration here, and you can see it. Excuse me. Probably should turn around, huh? You can see the second illustration in the next chapter. And I say this is the second illustration because he wants them to know what is this exceeding greatness of divine power that is working toward them. He illustrates it first in the Son, and he illustrates it secondly in the saints. You can see that by the first, I think it's the first word in chapter 2 in our English translations, and. See that? That's an important word, right? It connects whatever he's going to say in chapter 2 with something in chapter 1. I remember when I first saw that, I thought to myself, that's kind of important, isn't it? Illustration of divine power in execution in the Son, illustration of divine power in execution in the saints. When? When they were dead in trespasses and sins. Because that's what 2, 1 through 3 is all about. You being dead in trespasses and sins. And then by the time you get down to verses 5 and 6, he made you alive together with Christ. Um, It's probably good to read the verse, isn't it? Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When did he do that? You being dead in your trespasses and sins, the execution of divine power terminated in your dark soul and turned and light was brought to the dark place. And you saw yourself for who you were, God for who he is, Christ for who he is. So when we were dead in our sins, divine power changed us. So the illustration is in the saints, in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2, God's power illustrated in the saints. You being dead, he made alive together, he raised us, he seated us. So Paul here is inviting the Ephesian believers to recall their past as an illustration of the power God still works in them and for them. The divine power worked in them in the past is the same exceedingly great divine power he continually works in them the power of God in Ephesians 1.19 then is the power of God in them who already believe. It is present power which is causing itself to be, to be felt on present believers. That was a quote. So the present power being referred to here is divine power executed toward believers which sustains them and prepares them 
for that which they hope for and that which they will one day inherit. It is not regenerating power in 119 that Paul's highlighting, but sanctifying and sustaining power, though he illustrates that power by having them recall their past. So he says, what kind of power does God work toward you? You got regenerated in the past when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. A recreation happened in the past that you didn't cause to be. It came to you. It was favor from heaven. It was goodness. It was greatness. It was the execution of divine power in the past in your life. It's the same power that he executes toward you now. So we're looking at verse 10, though. So, But verse 10 is in a context, so we have to see it as part of this, the gratuitous basis of God's act in salvation, which is a, an expression of his divine power in, 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 in action. Um, the gratuitous basis is seen in verses 8 through 10. Um, when I was a new believer, this is one of the texts I memorized, and for good reason. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Excuse me. So this text in 2, 8 through 10 is a relentless display of this simple and glorious fact. Salvation, you came for this one, is all of grace. That's a title of a book by C.H. Spurgeon that's very helpful, by the way. Salvation is all of grace. Paul makes a simple statement, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And then there is this what I'll call a threefold elaboration about the graciousness of salvation that comes to us through faith. The threefold elaboration is, and that not of yourselves, the rest of verse 8, uh, the middle part of verse 8, it is the gift of God, the end of verse 8, not as a result of works, the beginning of verse 9. So he makes the simple statement, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And then he's going to elaborate on this by grace through faith salvation that has come to us. First of all, negatively, it's not of yourselves. Secondly, positively, it is the gift of God. Thirdly, negatively, not as a result of works. So a question we could ask is, how does the rest of verse 9 and 10 relate to the beginning of verse 9? Okay, so elaboration on this salvation that's gracious, that comes through faith, Number one, negatively, not of yourselves. Number two, positively, gift of God. Number three, negatively, not as a result of works. How is the rest of it connected to it? That's, that's a good question. If it's not, well, it is. Just trust me. Paul now offers two reasons to strengthen his point that salvation is not as a result of works. Two reasons why salvation is not as a result of works. Reason number one, so that no one may boast. 
If it was according to works, we could say something like, God loves me because I'm good. Or we could say, I'm saved because I earned it. Does God love us as believers because we're good? Um, It would be wrong to say this as well. God loves us as believers because we're bad. God loves us as believers because he's good. That's true. But it's not because of things we have done, because then we could say, I get this salvation which comes by grace through faith by virtue of my doing, my doing good. I've earned this. Unlike others, they can't boast because they didn't do what it takes to become a Christian. Namely, good works. But there's a second reason he gives to strengthen his point that salvation is not as a result of works. First reason is the end of verse 9, so that no one may boast. Second reason is verse 10. For or because, not a result as a result of works, because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. So this is a further reason why salvation is not of works. Instead of us working to salvation, God works. God does a work of recreation, and the result is that individual sinners are saved, and from that gifted salvation, they work. They don't work to it. They work from it. They work, that is, not to earn their salvation, but because it's been granted to them, and as we'll see, other thing, other reasons. So let's look at the fact of this workmanship. We are his workmanship. And I think all the English versions have the word for um, as the first word in the translation. And that's not a bad translation. It's true. Uh, uh, it's right. It's good. Um, if we could all read the Greek New Testament, we would see a different word is first in order here. Thank you. Oh, I ran out. That's the first time that's ever happened. The first word is his. And quite often, Greek, unlike English, we usually have a certain word order for our sentences, you know, the subject and then the predicate, and you usually have a subject noun and then a verb and then an object or something like that. Uh, In Greek, you can put it in whatever order you want. It's for emphasis, and I think this is probably for emphasis here. His workmanship we are. His workmanship we are. It's emphasizing the fact that God has done something to us and in us, 
And as a result of God doing something to us and in us, something comes by virtue of that. Workmanship literally means what is made. We are that of which he has made or something. Not the first creation. He's not talking about that, right? We're already creatures and we're fallen in sin. And what he's saying is God does this work of creation. We could call it recreation. Or we could call it new creation like Paul does in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. In Ephesians 2.10, this word refers to the new creation. God himself and God alone created and God himself and God alone recreates. God sovereignly and God independently created the world and all things in it, and God sovereignly and God independently causes the moral renovation of the soul to occur. We don't cause ourselves to come into being. We don't cause ourselves to to become Christians. God does. We are dead in sins. Salvation is by grace through faith. And it is by the sovereign initiative and spiritually renovating or recreating act of God. Not much to boast about in terms of ourself, right? But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is his work to work in us, not ours to get by working. Okay, I've said this before, of all the religions on the earth, this one's different. You don't get into it by what you do. You don't stay in it by what you do. And you don't get its promise by what you do. You get into it, you stay into it, and you get what it promises because God has orchestrated it for you out of his good pleasure. Not because we're good, but because he's way good. I think I've said this before. Why did God create if he's independent, um, self-existent, perfect? I don't know. He wanted to because he's good. The overflow, the sharing of the divine life. And then why does God recreate enemies, sinners, people who are clenching their fist and gritting their teeth in anger and hatred of God and fulfilling their lusts and blaspheming him, you know, all the time? Why does he, why does he take those kind of people? There's no other kind of people. If he's going to take people and bring them to glory, he's going to take sinners because that's all there is. It's his work to do. It's his work in us, not ours, to get by working. Instead of being a Christian by our works, men and women become Christians 
by the work of God, by virtue of a divine work in them based on what he has done in Christ outside of them. Okay, so something God did in Christ outside of us has benefits that God brings to us and in us. It's his work to work in us. We are his workmanship, an effect caused by him. He is the cause, us believing and being saved is the effect. So we could put it this way, God makes a man a Christian, we don't make ourselves Christians. We're not born as Christians, we are born again to be Christians. Just as man contributes nothing to his initial creation, so he contributes nothing to his subsequent or new creation. We got no grounds for boasting. We have great grounds for boasting in God, but not in ourselves. Not as a result of works. Why? Because we are actually effects produced by a cause other than ourselves. We are his workmanship. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We are his workmanship, the products of his recreative voice, which made us new in Christ. Isn't that a great verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 6? For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. You know what, is, what, he's, what he's referring to? Genesis chapter 1. Let, then God said, let there be light. It's the same God who said, let there be light, and there was light, who has shone a light, shined a light in our hearts to give the light, the revelation, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The same God who created initially has done a subsequent work of recreation in our souls if we're believers. Shining a light so that we would see the light. We're doubly dark, aren't we? Notice as well, not only the fact that we are his workmanship, but the sphere of God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. It is based on God's activity in Christ as the mediator of this new creation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. God's working of salvation in the soul is vitally, necessarily, and essentially related to Christ somehow, some way. Our, our Lord, we could put it, 
is the means whereby God's salvation comes. Christ is the agent through which new creation comes to souls and will come to bodies and the whole of the created realm, the new heavens and the new earth. The Lord Jesus, being the mediator between God and man, is the agent through whom new creation comes. Why? He earned the glory of that state by virtue of his life unto death, unto life obedience, rewarded by resurrection. He didn't fall short of something Adam fell short of. He attained glory, and he has the power and authority, and he's glad to execute this power and authority to give that glory to others. We gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. That is, we don't become God. He doesn't give us, like, divine glory. He gives us divine glory. The, the glory that the divine endowed upon the mediator according to his human nature, the glorious status that's better than the beginning. He is the agent through whom that, that, that work, uh, that glory gets to us. He is the agent through whom this new creation that, he's, that began with his resurrection comes to us, We get it, first of all, in the form of light, revelation. God turns a lamp on in our soul, torch. I like the torch better than a lamp, a torch. Um, and, and what do we see? We see the, the light, we see the light, the torch bearer of revelation par excellence. We see Christ for who he really is. And we we conclude this is glorious. The, the Redeemer is both God and man. He, is, he has taken my nature upon himself. He has taken my, my duties upon himself. He has taken my liabilities upon himself in order to bring me to God. That's what I want. All that transaction that happens in souls, uh, maybe not exactly like that, you know, but actually like that, but in, maybe... You can use different words to describe it. But it's the same work. All of that comes from God's goodness. It's not because, well, there was a spark. It's a flicker of goodness in you. And God saw it, and he kind of fertilized it, that little that good spark in you. No good sparks in us, okay? All bad sparks, matter of fact. And so we are the sphere of God's workmanship created in the sphere of the mediator, something like that. Notice the purpose of God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Because of our good works. No, it doesn't say that, right? Created or recreated, this new creation has come to us In relation to Christ, for good works. God renovates souls for good works, not due to, because of, or on account of good works. It's very clear, isn't it? You see why people, when they find new believers, encourage them to memorize this passage, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Because it, any, do, any 
pride we might have for becoming a Christian is cut right out from under us right here. Right? We're taken out at the knees in front of everybody. God takes us out. No pride. We can't be boasting of our station in Christ. We can boast in Christ, but we can't boast in ourselves being in Christ. The purpose of God's workmanship is for good works. Notice they're called good. Sometimes people stumble over the fact that these are called good works. The very fact that these works are called good, by the way, is proof that salvation is not of works because no unsaved person can perform good works. So these good works, they're not the, good, they're not the works of unbelievers. These are works by people who were unbelievers who were the target for the power of God, the effectual call of the Holy Spirit, and that call ushered them into saving relation with Christ, so we get all the benefits of Christ. And one of the benefits of Christ is that we, too, do good works. So it can't be the good works of unbelievers, it has to be the good works of believers, and these good works come as a result of this power terminating upon our souls and sustaining us in Christ, they cause, this power causes our good works. The good works aren't the grounds or basis for our salvation. They come as a result of it. All other religions, I already said it, I'll say it again. Good good works, as the religion defines them, gets you in, keeps you in, and earns you something. This, the religion of this book says, no, we're not doing it that way. That way is impossible. The only possible way is the way revealed in this book. There's no other name under heaven by which men and women, boys and girls, can be saved except the name of of Jesus, because of who he is, his identity, and because what of what he has done, his calling or vocation. So a good work is something revealed by God as his will for man and something done for the honor and glory of God alone. It must be done according to the proper standard, the law of God, the revelation of God, and it must be done according to the proper motive, the love and glory of God. Men and women outside of Christ might give the external appearance of performing a work in accordance with God's revealed law, but if we were able to see their hearts, we would never see them doing anything for the glory and love of God alone. Now, if you're sitting there and you're a believer, you're going, I don't even know if I've ever done a good work, if that's what a good work is. When you obey God, do you say, wow, look at that obedience? Or do you say, Lord, it's pretty pitiful, isn't it? Could you receive it for Jesus' sake? We need to do the latter. Okay? We need, not the, the former is like boasting. Who wants to boast in their sanctification? I had a good week last week. Pretty holy. I didn't really need Jesus that much. Yeah, that's right. 
Men outside of Christ might give the external appearance of performing a work in accordance with God's revealed law, but if we were able to look into their hearts, it wouldn't be simply because God has commanded this and he's glorious and I love him for saving me. I did this. That's not their motivation. Christians and Christians alone do things because God says to and the way God says to, though not perfectly in this life, right? A good work involves a proper action and heart disposition. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Both must be present for a work to be categorized as being good. Are the good works of Christians perfect works? Mature, spotless? The answer is no. Listen to our... Confession, chapter 16, paragraph 6. The good works of believers are accepted in Christ, not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, God, looking upon them, his children, in his son, we love this part of it, is pleased to accept And reward that which is sincere, although accomplished with many weaknesses and imperfections. That's a dose of reality right there. And should keep us humble. Even our good works are relatively good, mangled, twisted, distorted, not perfected. And it's only by virtue of Christ and Christ alone that they're received as good in the first place. Though they are not perfect, they are good. And by where does this, the virtue of their goodness come from? I want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who are believing. That's that's where the goodness come from, comes from. The power toward us who are believing comes from God. Notice the origin and purpose of these works, which God prepared beforehand so that we, are, we would walk in them. This, this is a mind blower. It's like, wait a minute. So I'm a believer. I'm doing these good works. You're telling me, I didn't generate the good works myself. Myself, Divine power is working on me and in me. But even before that, God decreed these good works so that I would walk in them? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, I'm saying that because that's what it says. You want, to get, you want to get proud about your good works? Yeah, right. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The preparation of good works occurs prior to moral renovation, right? God prepared the good works before he renovated you. You couldn't get renovated. You couldn't get renewed without him. You have no good works to walk in unless he's purposed for you to walk in those good works. 
it's just no room for boasting, is there? I mean, there is, but of course not in ourselves. Good works are prepared for us in the eternal counsel of God. Good works don't originate in our personal efforts and result in salvation. Good works originate in the eternal purpose of God and give evidence to our salvation. Oh, to have more good works, you know? You ever wondered why, how come I'm not more holy? I, I never think that about myself, but you should think that about you. Why aren't we holier? With all the knowledge we have and experience we have, um, maybe so that we're reminded how needy we are. God, I've been working, walking with Christ for 40 years. Why do I still do that or think that? Please help me, right? That's what we do. Maybe so that we don't, you know, get our angelic halos and wings on and float around thinking we're something. God allows his people to be carnal sometimes so that we get reminded how desperate and needy we really are. So that we would walk in them. Walk is Paul's normal word for describing one's way of life, holiness. It's to be a way of life for Christians, not merely because God commands it, but because God has designed it. I think a couple weeks ago when I did the Colossians being strengthened sermon, I said, you know what? I'm looking at a bunch of people that have had gone through a war. Life has been war. There's been casualties all around you, and yet you're still here five years, six months, 10 years, 20, 40 years later, still professing to be a Christian, coming to a 40, 40, 32-member church, renting a building, and you keep coming. Why is that? Because you're good, right? That's right. Because God's good. (laughs) And even though I don't deserve to be here and have brothers and sisters who love me and try to help me, and I have them. And sometimes even though I don't want to be here, I still come. You know it's true. Sometimes you don't want to go to church. It's never true of me, but it's true of some of you. And for some of, some of us probably... Maybe it's not true anymore because grace has been given and habits have been formed. And when we say "Eh," to ourselves, church or no church, it's like there's not an option there, right? Now, it wasn't that way at first, most likely. And you grow and you understand things. You have this walk, this way of life that corresponds with the word or law of God, more and more as we progress. Sometimes you can't see it. You wished it was more glorious of progress than it actually is, but it's there. And and one of the ways you can see that is I go to to church. I, I I pray sometimes. I actually pray. And I don't hear voices coming back from heaven, but I still pray. What does that prove? 
I, I believe the Bible. It says he hears our prayers for Jesus' sake. Even though I don't hear him audibly, I can hear him. By the way, I think John Piper said this, or somebody did, somebody famous. You want to hear God audibly? Read the Bible out loud. You know, I don't know who said that, but it's a good one. It's true. Way of life. Um, no one more wholeheartedly than Paul, this is a quote, repudiated good works as a ground of salvation. No one more wholeheartedly insisted on good works as the fruit of salvation. Right? Paul did both. You're not saved by works, but those who are saved work out of these divine benefits, the benefits divine, which we have, we sing about in hymn 95, the benefits divine, the benefits earned for us by the God-man mediator, redeemer, we get these benefits, one of them is called good works. It comes by virtue of our union with Christ. So we could say this, the salvation believers in Christ enjoy is not as a result of works so that no one may boast and because, in fact, we're actually his product, his workmanship, caused to walk in good works, which he prepared way back when. So the good works believers perform are not unto the salvation that comes by grace through faith, but from the salvation that comes by grace through faith. We have some contemplations. I think four of them. I'll save those for after lunch. All week, when I finish my lecture in the afternoon, I would finish a sentence reading it, and the guy would translate it, and I would say, in Jesus' name, amen. And they knew we were finished. So now you know I'm finished. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for having it written, preserving it, putting it in front of our faces uh, today, pushing it onto our minds and hearts, conforming our thinking to it, um, and learning once again something we already know. And maybe it was new for some that this thing we call Christian salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, a title to glory and the eternal state, it doesn't come to us because we're good. It comes to us because you're good. You're, it comes as a result of your exceedingly great power in execution, not simply to first make us in our mother's womb, but to remake us in Christ Jesus as new creations so that understanding this salvation that comes by grace through faith, understanding it more and more should move us to more good works to more gratefulness, to more thankfulness, to more humility, to more honesty, and to more boasting, not 
in ourselves or other men and women, but boasting in the Lord. So may that light that we talked about from 2 Corinthians 4 and Genesis 1, may that recreative light come to souls this morning. And may the ministry of reminder come to others. And bless your word, we ask. Receive our praises as we sing now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.